Well, hello again, brothers and sisters, here for episode two of The Church is a Real Thing, and I'm very thankful to uh, continue to have the opportunity uh, to make this podcast for the Crown Rights Network. Last week, we had a wonderful time introducing the subject, and... uh, I'm going to go ahead and, as I told you before last week, if it's your first week, you can get caught up pretty quick. We're going to have a theme verse, and I'm going to go ahead and read it today. I'm going to keep reading it throughout because it is so vital to understanding what we are talking about. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, the Apostle Paul wrote to his brothers and sisters in a church that he had... uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, birthed. And he says this, he said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, What is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet, and given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So before we jump into the history of Ephesians, as I told you we would be doing this week, I want to ask those questions again that I asked last week, and we will kind of tie some of this together at the end. And they'll be critical to the message that Paul is teaching here in the next 155 verses and the six chapters of the book of Ephesians. You might remember, if you were with us last week, I asked the question, what do you do when the police lights start flashing in your rearview mirror? What do you do when a state trooper points to your car and tells you to pull over? Why do you do? Why do you do what you do? What if you don't? What happens? And why does it happen? So we'll get back after our introduction to the book and we'll demonstrate how our answers illustrate what we believe about the state of Ohio. Or you can insert your state right here. You can even say it with me. The state of West Virginia, the state of Texas, the state of South Carolina, right where you live. What is true about the state where you live in? We'll get to that here in a little bit. So, as we begin the story and the uh, book of Ephesians here, we understand that it is an epistle. And for those of you that may not be theologically sophisticated, you may not know that an epistle simply just means a letter. In this case, it's a letter written by an apostle. An epistle is a letter, in this case, Ephesians, written by the apostle Paul. 
Who did he write it to? He wrote it to the church in Asia Minor, which, once again, that's what it was called back then. Today, it would be known as the country of Turkey, just north and to the west of Israel in a land uh, inhabited by believers of all kinds of false religions, and also there were Jews there too. So it's important who it was written to. It was not written to the pagans at Ephesus or the Jews at Ephesus. It was written to the church, okay? It was most likely, and I say most likely because the book doesn't tell us, but scholarship does, written from Rome during Paul's first imprisonment there. Ephesians 3.1, 4.1, and 6.20 mention this, and probably soon after his arrival there in the year 62 AD, four years after he had parted with the Ephesian elders at Miletus. At Miletus, Paul gives a very passionate and famous speech to them when he leaves for the very last time that he expects to see them feeling in his heart and believing in his heart that he's not going to be able to return. And we'll read it here in just a minute from the book of Acts. But Ephesus was built about a thousand years before the birth of Christ as a Greek city-state. In Ephesus, about 550 years before Christ, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was built there. You might know what it was. It was called the Temple of Artemis, also known as the Temple of Diana, the Roman goddess. And she was a fertility goddess, and the gigantic temple that she made, or that was made to her, uh, was the most, you know, demonstrative thing on the landscape there. And we don't know for 100% sure, but it seemed to be a temple where uh, what they called sacred sexuality or prostitution uh, took place with the uh, people who were there at the temple. It was a very pagan, very ungodly, very filthy uh, practices that were pervading the entire area. So one of the things that I wanted to point out here as we move forward in this is something I learned a long time ago, and it might, it might come uh, in handy in our way of thinking. And I won't be exhaustive on this, but it's something I learned a long time ago that just really, really stuck in my mind. I thought I'd pass it on to you guys. So most people don't know what the United States Secret Service, what the purpose of it was when it was first established. When you say Secret Service, most people think of the people that guard the President of the United States, and they do. Uh, But when they were originally formed, there really wasn't a lot of danger to the Uh, to presidents at the time. This was not their main function. The Secret Service, their primary responsibility was to uh, try to ferret out and discover counterfeit money so that it did not destroy, uh, you know, the the financial underpinnings of the country through inflation and and a bunch of other things. And, of course, you know, that's just a whole other way of stealing. So... When it was when it was formed, uh, someone told me this when I was a young man that the way that they decided to go about doing what they were doing was not to show their agents counterfeit dollar bills. 
counterfeit $5 bills, $20 bills, $150 bills. Not show them, hey, here's how they're counterfeited and here's how you tell and these are the way marks that let you know that they're counterfeit. Instead, what they did is they studied the real deal. They got to know every line and every uh, imprint, everything that was put on our money so that when they saw something that wasn't that, they would recognize that. Now, Paul never mentions worship of the goddess Diana or temple prostitution. Maybe he does it for the same reason. He even says it is a shame to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But he does talk about marriage in chapter 5, and he discusses the genuine article rather than the counterfeit being offered by uh, Diana there at the temple of Artemis. I just thought I'd point that out. Okay. Paul's first and hurried visit for the space of three months to Ephesus is recorded in Acts chapter 18. You can read about that in verses 19 through 21. The work began on this occasion and was carried uh, forward by Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. And on Paul's second visit, early the following year, he remained at Ephesus, uh, the book of Acts tells us, for three years because he found it was key to the western provinces of Asia Minor. Here, a great and effectual door, it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, was opened to him and the church was established and strengthened by his all-in efforts there. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 20 and 31. From Ephesians, uh, from Ephesus, the gospel spread abroad, uh, as it says in Acts 19.26, almost throughout all of Asia. The word mightily grew and prevailed despite all the opposition and persecution that Paul was encountering. And on his last journey to Jerusalem, the apostle landed at Miletus and Summoning together the elders of the church from Ephesus, he delivered to them a farewell charge, uh, expecting to see them no more. And this meeting, recorded in Acts 20, is a very personal and telling uh, picture into the way that Paul established the church and worked for Christ, building the kingdom there, and his deep, deep connection to these people and his love for them. Because that's what God gives the shepherds of the church of Jesus Christ. When God gives you the gift of being a shepherd, you you love the sheep. And we'll hear in his voice that he certainly did love the people here at Ephesus. So let me just read it for you. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 16. Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hastened, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, 
Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them, which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had spoken thus, he kneeled down and he prayed with all of them and they all wept sore and they fall and they fell on Paul's neck, and they kissed him, sorrowing most for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him into the ship. Isn't that beautiful? You know, when I was a young man, I memorized uh, the book of Acts. And I remember this passage put on my heart a picture of what a pastor should be. Someone who works, who loves, who gives up his body, uh, who puts himself between the wolves and the sheep, who spins and is spent. Brother Paul, you are a great example to us all, and your love for the Ephesians uh, is inspiring. So does it sound like he was talking about uh, some sort of a club you could belong to for the betterment of society or so that you could live the good life and be able to dress up in your Sunday best and get together? Or does he sound like that he had been giving his life for the establishment of the kingdom of God here on earth and he was thankful for it and he was filled with the love of Christ for these people? That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds his desire to support the weak, to remember the Lord, uh, to remember the words of the Lord, how it was more blessed to give than to receive. That right there is the heart of a man of God. He's not thinking of himself and what he can get out of the deal. He's thinking of these sheep. Why is he doing that? Because he's filled with the Spirit of Christ. Christ loved us. He loved us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He 
loved us because greater love has no man than this, but that a man would lay down his life for his friends. People of God, isn't it an amazing thing that God made us his friends, that he loved us before we knew him and that he laid down his life for us? And he did this not because the church is just invisible. The church is an idea. The church is just uh, a way to communicate good principles, but because the church is a real thing. It is the thing that Jesus died for. It is the bride of Christ. It is the building of God. It is where he dwells. And each of us play a part in it. Each of us find ourselves either in its masonry work or in its uh, rafters or even in its bell towers. We find our way in the place, maybe deep inside into the circulation system or in the, the, the arms of the hands and the feet and the moving of God and to and fro and through the earth, not just as an idea, but as a real thing. We have a real place within the kingdom of God. So remember back when I asked you about those flashing lights in the rear view window and what the Bible had to say about us today through them. So what was your answer? What do you do when the flashing lights come? What do you do when the officer tells you to pull over? What do you do? You stop. That's what you do. You pull over and you do whatever they tell you to do. Hand us your license and registration, sir. Pull off a little further. Why do you do this? You do this because the state is a real thing. It has real laws, real borders, real jails and courts, real authority. Authority we must submit to. God's word says that we are to submit to all the authority we've been given because it all comes from God. Romans 13, starting in verse 1, it says... uh, as, as, as you read it, it says that all authority that has been given has been established by God. And that when God established it, it wasn't just uh, out there. It was, it was for you to submit to, to find a way to submit to it. What do, you know, when God gives you a dad, uh, what do you do? You're supposed to honor and obey your dad. When God gives you a mom, what are you going to do? Honor and obey your mom. Not only that, it doesn't just stop at mom and dad. Romans 13, 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. And the powers that be ordained are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Man, that's pretty hardcore. That's the word of God, folks. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have the praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, but he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause, pay tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending 
continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor is due. The scriptures also tell us that not only is the state a real thing, all authority is a real thing, but the the God's established order in the church has been given for us to obey and submit to as well. He tells them in Hebrews chapter 12 this. He says, Have you forgotten the exhortation unto you as my children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. This comes from Proverbs chapter 3. Neither faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son in whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father doesn't chasten? But if you be without chastisement, wherefore are ye all partakers? Then are you bastards and not sons. He's explaining to them, if your state didn't care about you, it would, it, and, it didn't, and it didn't even value itself as a state, there'd be no law, there'd be no authority. If God didn't care about you, he wouldn't restrain you either. But he does. He says, for verily, for a few days they chastened us after their own pleasure. These are our earthly fathers. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. No chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but it is grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight past your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed. He's explaining to them that, of course, the state has power. And, of course, it's real. All power is established of God. And he goes on to establish the power of the church as a real thing. He lays it out like this, and he says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, and any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You are not come to amount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet of the voice of words, which voice they heard, and they entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake, but you are come to a Mount Zion unto the city of the living God. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. This is how we come to God in the church. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. This is how we come to Jesus. The hands and feet of Jesus in the world is the church the mediator of the new covenant, the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. 
See then that you refuse not him that speaketh. When you refuse to submit to your church, when you refuse to believe that there's an actual place and there are actual people with actual authority from God, when you refuse to listen to him that speaks from your pulpit in your church, do not refuse to hear him. For if they escape not or refuse that spoke on earth much more, shall we not escape? If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice shook the earth, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but heaven also. And this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, of those things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. What's going to remain? I'll tell you what's going to remain. The state will dissolve. The world will dissolve. But the Bible says that the church will stand the burning fervent heat of the earth and the works that God has done are not wood, hay, and stubble. They are built on the rock. They are built with precious stones and they will abide. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. That's the kingdom we're receiving. The, the United States can be removed. The whole, every government in the world can be removed, but we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be removed. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God is a consuming fire. And because he's a consuming fire, we should let brotherly love continue. We should not be forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember them that are in bonds as them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the same body. Marriage is honorable before all. The bed is undefiled. Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge you. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he that said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You see, the church is Jesus Christ in the world today. Be not carried away with different and strange doctrines. Why? Your church is going to keep you on, uh, on, on the road to good, sound doctrine. Be not carried away with different and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar, wherefore they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle for the bodies of the beasts whose blood is brought to the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned up without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us, let us, you and me, let the church go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do good to communicate and forget not for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable. For you. Wow. This is the church, a real, real thing. Something we can.
be a part of, something we can find our place in, something that we can become a member of and a useful contributor to, that we can even find ourselves uh, through the Holy Spirit being a gift to. The church is a real thing, people of God, and as we begin as uh, next week when we get together and we begin right at the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, you will see how Paul, who knew this doctrine, who was a part of the great foundation that he mentions in his own epistle here, he is part of this foundation, the apostles and prophets on which the church is built. And he, with all of his heart and with all of his soul and mind, understood what he told the Philippians, for him to live is Christ. For him to live is Christ. He will be glorified in his life. He will be glorified in his death. He believed the church was a real thing, and he gave his life to the service of it. And I pray, as you are hearing these things, there's something burning in your heart that says, I want to be really a member of a church. I really want to find my place within the body of Christ. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will make me a gift to my church. I pray that prayer for you. I pray that you are just being lit on uh, fire, Holy Ghost fire, not consuming fire, but Holy Ghost fire, that tongues of fire will be sitting on you as they came upon those on the day of Pentecost who were there when the church was established that he would fill you with the power to become witnesses for Christ all over the world and everywhere God sends you. May the Lord be with you, and I look forward to seeing you again here on The Church is a Real Thing as we go and dissect verse by verse for six chapters through the book of Ephesians, and we find out what our place might be in the body of Christ and how we can glorify God through the good works that he has foreordained that we should do because of his grace. In Jesus' name, I pray this prayer for you. May the Lord be with you. And may God fill you with his Holy Spirit again and again to overflowing.